Father, we've been praying for folks who are facing a storm this morning in Florida that, that could bring physical uh, damage and, and harm to them. And we do pray for them, Lord. We, and we pray for the folks in Houston that are trying to pick up after the storm that, that hit there. Lord, these things are so devastating. But Lord, help us not look past our own community where the, the storm of poverty uh, is ravaging lives uh, within a few blocks of, of this building. Father, help us to be faithful with what you have given us, uh, the time, uh, the energy, the talent, the finances. Uh, Lord, we pray that our generation would not um, miss the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to folks in our community that uh, seem to go unnoticed uh, and passed over, uh, those who are underserved. Lord, we pray for Hope Unlimited. We thank you for uh, their new leadership with Book. We thank you for the people that have been faithful over so many years to, uh, to care for these students, and we pray that their ministry impact would grow. We pray that, that more students would not only uh, have academic success, Lord, but we pray for uh, a spiritual new life that they can only find through the grace of Jesus. And we thank you that, that Hope Unlimited is built on your word and built on, uh, as Book said, loving people well, and that means loving them as you have loved them. So we pray for him. We pray for that ministry and ask that you would strengthen them and encourage them. Lord, we do pray that he would be able to, to quit his job so that he could focus on uh, the ministry and his education uh, and his family. And not in that order, Lord, his family first. We know that. In Jesus' name, amen. Almost messed that up badly. Uh, if you have a Bible and would like to, you can turn to John chapter 15. We are beginning a new sermon series that is going to last the entire fall. Uh, if, you, uh, if you hadn't noticed, Green Tree is growing. God is doing some pretty amazing things, not only numerically, but also just in the opportunities we are having for ministry. Our women's teaching ministry begins this Thursday, and they've literally almost doubled in size from last year. God is truly uh, growing us in ways that we did not expect. Michael Porter, who's our business manager, and I were here on uh, Wednesday uh, early evening, and we were walking the grounds with the architect who was the original designer of this building and this property and asking him to explain to us where the second building was going to be when it was built. And we were pretty sure we were never going to have that conversation in our lifetime. And now my elders are looking at me like, oh my gosh, what did you sign? What have we done? Well, nothing yet, but we did want to say, you know, we had 120 kids in high school and middle school last week, and we're not even sure if that's legal to have that many kids in that room. Our children's ministry is bursting at the seams, so if God were to provide, where could, how could we grow? So it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful challenge for us as well. So while there are no immediate uh, designs on uh, creating more physical space at Green Tree, it is a timely topic. Because we want to talk about room to grow, not just as far as a facility is concerned, but what does it mean for us as disciples of Jesus to create room in our lives to grow as individual Christians, as well as corporately as a church? So what we're going to do this fall, we're going to kind of look at it like this. We're going to pick a handful of different topics under the idea of room to grow. This morning, we're going to begin with, what does it mean to have room to grow in Christ? And we're going to look at John 15, and I'll lay a foundation this morning. Then moving forward, we're going to spend a little time asking the question, uh, how do we make room to grow numerically? And uh, that's kind of gotten a bad rap in years. People are like, well, you know, you shouldn't be all about numbers. And while I agree that's true, uh, clearly God is about numbers. Clearly God is about kingdom growth. 
Clearly, God is about multiplication and the growth of his kingdom. So for us to ignore the opportunity we have to grow numerically would be, I think, not only foolish, I think it would actually go against what Scripture says. But I also believe there's a biblical way to look at it, and there's a, a human way to look at it. So we want to be careful about that. We're going to look at what it means to grow in grace, how we mature as believers. Every one of us in this room who are disciples of Jesus have room in our lives to get better at following Jesus, to have his spirit and his word capture more of our hearts and more of our minds so that we look more like him. Uh, we're going to talk about room to grow and care and service. How do we, how do we look out for each other? And then uh, before we get into the Advent season, I can't even believe I'm saying Advent, but before we get into the Advent season, we're going to consider what it means to grow in generosity. So this morning, we're going to dive in. John chapter 15, the passage will be on the screen. Uh, or you can read along in your, in your own Bibles. We're going to be looking at the question of room to grow in Christ Jesus using three words, attached, alive, and affirmed. Hear the word of God. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the night before he goes to the cross, and this is one of the things he says. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in the opportunity that you are giving us as a, a group of disciples to share your gospel uh, in this community and beyond. Lord, we thank you for Book and Hope Unlimited. We thank you for the, the other ministry partners we have uh, in the St. Louis area uh, and in other places around the nation and the world. Lord, it seems that you are, you are growing uh, the extent of our influence for the gospel, and we are humbled by that. And, and, it, and quite honestly, Lord, it it's a bit, uh, makes us a bit nervous uh, for fear that we may get it wrong. Uh, for fear that we might make it about ourselves instead of about your glory and the salvation of others. And so, Lord, we pray for your protection. We pray that you would uh, give us humble and kind and, and passionate hearts for the gospel, that we would not have any pride in ourselves, but it would be all in you and in your kindness and your mercy. Lord, we are broken sinners. We are in need of your grace and mercy as much or more than anybody that we would ever talk to about you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we consider this topic of room to grow, that we would do so under the authority and the direction of your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds, that we would have ears to hear 
what the Spirit says to the church, not what Tom says to the church or anybody else, but what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. So Lord, we pray that you would take your word and make it alive in our hearts. Please forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sermon in a sentence this morning. I actually, it's two, sir, uh, two sentences. I tried to put a semicolon in there and it didn't quite work. So I have to be honest, there's, there's more than one sentence this morning, but hopefully you'll be able to follow it. Uh, the spiritual growth begins by being attached to Jesus through saving faith. So that's where my, my journey as the branch begins, when I am attached to Christ by believing that he is my Savior and Lord. However, once connected, individual growth, as well as growth of the believing community, is God's intention. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed and before he, he goes to the cross, he's, he has his 11 disciples in the room and he's giving them some, some last minute instructions and he speaks to them as individuals. So he spoke to Peter as Peter. He spoke to James as James. He spoke to Bartholomew as Bartholomew, but he also spoke to them collectively as a group of disciples. And I believe that's how we are to hear this message this morning, which means that growth is about us as individual disciples, but also for us as a believing community. And as I said, we're going to use three words to, uh, to walk through this text this morning. The first we need to understand is that growing in Christ means being attached. Uh, in verse 2, Jesus says, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he proves that it may bear more fruit. Now, I think this is a, a passage or a verse that could be easily misunderstood by us if we're not careful. Uh, some take this to mean that Jesus is saying that you could be attached to him by saving faith and that you can lose that salvation if you don't bear fruit. If you don't work hard enough, Jesus isn't going to have time for you and he's going to put you out of the kingdom. That would go contrary to everything else that scripture says about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. So it can't mean that. So when you have that feeling, when you read a verse like this, you need to stop yourself and go, somebody else is whispering into my ear right now. It's either my own experience, it's either my enemy, the devil, but somebody's trying to get me to believe that I actually work to earn my salvation, and that isn't true. So if it's not that, then what does it mean? I believe that there's a twofold meaning here. The first is this. I believe when Jesus says every branch of mine, he's speaking in terms of the creator and the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What branch, if your life represents a branch metaphorically and my life represents a branch metaphorically and everybody's does, what branch is outside of the purview of the Lordship of Jesus? Might not believe in him. You might reject his gospel, but it doesn't change the truth that he is the creator and that he is the Lord, and that everything that has been created belongs to him, including your life and my life. So when Jesus says, my branches, he, he's speaking, I believe, of every one of us, and it's a general understanding of being attached. Jesus has the final say on all branches. But I also think as, as he works his way through the text, he's talking about an attachment that is also specific, that if you are a disciple, that you have put your faith in Jesus, that if you are trusting in him and him alone for salvation, the work that he's done on the cross, then you are attached in a, in a very specific way. And in verse 3, Jesus says, already you, and he's talking about the group, those, these 11 disciples, you are clean because you've worked really hard the three years I've been with you. 
Doesn't say that. You are clean because you haven't made any mistakes while I've been with you. Doesn't say that. Peter would be out on his ear immediately. It was all the goofy stuff he did following Jesus. What does he say? You're clean because the word I've spoken to you. What's the word that Jesus speaks to the broken and lost world? He speaks the word of grace. He speaks the word of compassion. He speaks a word of salvation. And what he's saying to his disciples then and what he's saying to us this morning, on my authority on my word. If I say you're attached to me, nothing can change that. Jesus is the Lord of your salvation, and he's the Lord of my salvation. But also notice that not only are we attached specifically by saving faith, but notice the open invitation here, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. We are invited by the king. Who's invited? Everybody. Whoever includes every person is invited to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and experience salvation through him. The question isn't, does Jesus offer the invitation? The question is, do we offer it alongside with him? Does Green Tree Community Church have the notion of whoever in our attitude, in everything that we say and do, in every prayer we pray, and every, every Bible study that we have, and every worship service, do we openly invite everybody to put their faith in Christ? And does your life and does my life reflect that whoever attitude? If we are attached to Jesus... Not only do we belong to him in a general sense, but we also belong to him in a very specific way, which means our hearts should be molded and transformed and changed, which we're going to get to in a minute, to the, to the attitude and the longing for the whoever. Because attachment leads somewhere, brothers and sisters. We're not attached just for the sake of being attached. There's something that God wants to do in your life and in my life as disciples of Jesus. And, we, and when I say we, not me, Peggy Dimitri is the one who did this. Watch the screen, and we're going to see a little, little picture of what attachment does, okay? So there you have in about 60 seconds, thanks to modern technology, an entire growing season from early March until mid to late August of a grapevine, right? And you might not have recognized it at first for being what it was, but certainly as it went on, you saw that that, that, that that branch or that vine was alive and that it produced branches. And ultimately, those branches produced clusters of grape. We are attached in order to be alive. That's our second observation in this text. And we want to grow in our liveliness of following Jesus. What does it mean that we're alive? Well, it means that we're spiritually alive. To use the, the language of the New Testament, that we have new life, that we have eternal life. I'll take you to maybe the most famous Bible verse in, in all of Scripture, John three sixteen. Jesus is speaking, and he uses the whoever language in this passage as well. He's talking to a guy named Nicodemus who is very self-righteous and very confident of the fact that he can save himself, and Jesus corrects him. And part of that correction is this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, your eternity has already begun. You are in the new kingdom right now. You are not in its fullest expression until you die and stand before the Lord or he returns, but we are spiritually alive. Now the question would be, well, how do I recognize that? How do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm living and growing the way that this passage describes? And I think Jesus gives us some very clear definition of that. 
The first one we're going to find is in the first verse or two of John chapter 15. I am the vine, my father is the vine, father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We've talked about that. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Uh, I mentioned we were walking around with our architect the other night, and as we walked through the front lawn, he looked at our trees out here in the, in the front lawn. He said, you guys need to make sure you prune those. You want them to be tall and straight, not short and, and, and kind of fat. So make sure you, you, this fall before the frost comes, make sure you prune those lower branches. Why do you cut things off of the tree? Why do, why do I prune my apple tree every spring? Because I want to produce more apples. I want the tree to be healthy. When God prunes our lives, he takes away things that are not good for us. Things like greed, things like lust, things like anger, things like a lack of care for unbelievers. He prunes those things away. Why? He's doing that as the loving and expert vine dresser, giving you attention, giving me the attention that we need in order to flourish as a branch. So I think it's not unreasonable for a disciple of Jesus who's maybe going through a difficult time to say, Lord, what are you you doing here? I'm I'm not quite following it. Uh, It's okay to express a a, a fear or an anxiousness. Those emotions are real. We're not saying just shove all that down and be a really good Christian and suck it up and don't worry about it, but understand the context in which sometimes the pain comes into our lives. It comes because God says there's something there that's going to hurt you worse if I don't take it away. There's something there that's actually going to choke the life out of you if if I don't deal with it. And I want you to be a full, vibrant branch that's that's in relationship with me in a way that gives you life. And so Jesus says the pruning of our Heavenly Father actually is evidence that this life is within us. But also, the ultimate result of that is what? To be fruitful. In verse 5, it says this, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And I say, well, what's the definition of fruit? Is that me winning people to Jesus, telling people about Jesus and seeing them become Christians? Well, that certainly can be part of it. But Paul also says that in Galatians, there's an inward change, a transformation that takes place that expresses itself in certain types of of thoughts and certain types of behaviors. The fruit of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life produces what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The, The notion of being alive in Christ means that the fruit of his presence is going to be building up in my life. Uh, not this last Monday, but the, uh, the Monday before, no, two Mondays before. Wait a minute, when was Labor Day? Last Monday. Two Mondays before, I had to go down to Orlando and back in one day to make a presentation. And my flight was late leaving, and my flight was late coming back. And I came home, and I was really grumpy. I was really just kind of out of sorts. And I, and I walked into the bedroom, and said, how was your day? Oh, it was just around, 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 around. And I finally caught myself, and like, boy, you, you know, I'm sure she's happy to see you. And uh, I said, but at least... You know, I'm not sitting on my roof in Houston waiting for a boat to come by and rescue me. So now I'm righteous. Now I'm okay. Now I'm good because I realized that I was, I was out of line. Well, as it turns out later on in the week, I found out that there was something that Cindy wanted to tell me Monday night. And it wasn't huge. It wasn't like crisis or anything big. But it was something that she wanted to share with me, but she didn't. And when I asked her why she didn't, she said, well, clearly you were not in, in a mood to hear what I needed to say. And so I 
didn't feel like I... So actually, in my grumpiness, my wife resembled Jesus a whole lot more than me. Wouldn't it have been better at that moment if I had had more patience throughout the day and I came home and said, I'm in a great mood because I'm in a marriage with a wonderful woman and God's redeemed me and Jesus died on the cross for me? Who cares if I sat on a plane longer? What on earth does that matter? Wouldn't it have been better if there had been more self-control in my heart? Wouldn't it have been better if there had been more kindness and, and more thought about her instead of being obsessed with myself? Well, I can tell you, brothers and sisters, if that's true in my life, I'm guessing there are moments when you experience that same kind of self-centeredness that same kind of struggle and grappling with these things, but that's where the Spirit of God wants to work. And the reason I know that I'm attached to Jesus because I begin to see some of that fruit in my life. I begin to see God transforming me and changing me and letting me be fruitful. And the other part of being alive is the notion of elevating the vine dresser's reputation. This is a really fascinating verse, if you ask me. By this, my Father will know, my Father is glorified. Well, how is God glorified? That you, you disciples, you, you little disciples, you little group of people that follow me at Green Tree Community Church, my Father's glorified when you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The, the reason we interact with folks for the sake of the kingdom of God is not so that people will pat us on the back and tell us how great we are, but that people will say, what an amazing God. When's the last time somebody interacted with you in, in your classroom, in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood, at, at, the, at the hockey rink, at the baseball diamond, at the soccer field, in your business, in your office, in a traffic jam, in a long line at the airport? When's the last time somebody interacted with you and said, praise God that I'm around you right now because I see the glory of God all over you, all right? And we kind of chuckle about that. And the reason we're chuckling probably is because that makes us a little nervous because maybe that hasn't happened to us very often. And I'm not saying go out there and live so people will say, I praise God because of you. But our lives ought to reflect his glory to the extent that they go, wow, there's something different there. What is that? That's the gospel in motion. But it's not about us. We don't do these things to, to promote ourselves. Uh, Jen Allen reminded me that we're, we're kind of relaunching um, uh, our, our affordable Christmas. And for those of you that, that haven't been around very long, affordable Christmas is something we do in, uh, in December uh, each year where we spend the year provide, buying gifts and then we provide those gifts uh, for folks in the Kirkwood School District who wouldn't otherwise be able to get gifts. So we, we buy things and we mark them down 90%. So it was a $100 gift, it's now a $10 gift. And, and we did this last year, and it was amazing to hear people talk about how blessed they were. But what was even more amazing was to hear the, the folks that were helping them shop say, and we do this to God's glory. We do this because God's loved us. This is, we don't get the credit for this. The credit of this goes to God. And that's part of being alive in Christ, is, is elevating the vine dresser's reputation. Now, I know that some of you may this evening be sitting on your back porch. I mean, a beautiful weather, St. Louis and Jordan. You may decide that on a nice, like, nice night like this, you're going to get a little bit of cheese. You're going you're to have maybe a little bit of summer sausage, and you're going to open up a nice bottle of wine, right? And maybe you're going to go home tonight, and you're going to sit on your porch, and you're going to open a nice little 2007 bottle of Screaming Eagle. Uh, maybe, that, maybe, that'll, maybe that'll be what you drink. Now, there are a handful of people here that really know their wine, and that's why they're laughing. So we need to pray for them because they maybe have a little too much to drink. But besides that, 
I'm just kidding you. So the reason Stacy and Russ are laughing, right? Because they know, not because they drink too much, but they know to crack open a nice little bottle of a 2000 Screaming Eagle would cost you about $3,000, right? Okay. So it's not like just a little bottle of wine you're going to open, right? I can't even think of the event in which I would, I would have that, right? But we're not really praising Screaming Eagle. Actually, who we're giving glory to is Heidi Barrett. And Heidi Barrett is one of the world's foremost grape growers so that Screaming Eagle gets their grapes from her. And the way she grows grapes is almost like nobody else, at least nobody else on the continental United States. And her husband, Bo, is a guy that works for it. Now, if we wanted to to have a bottle of wine that I could afford, right, but still is a good bottle of wine, I would go to Chateau Montalena, which is a wonderful wine, right, at a reasonable price. But I'm not really praising the wine. I'm giving thanks for Bo's work and thankful that he married Heidi and enough of her rubbed off on him that he'd be pretty good at what he does. You see what I'm getting at? What Jesus is saying here is that our lives are lived in a way that when people drink in the experience of a relationship with us, they end up glorifying the one who made us the way we are today. And that's not us. That's him. That's how we know we're alive. That's how we know that, that God is at work in our hearts. When, when somebody in our community, somebody in our sphere of influence gives praise to God because of what they see him doing in our lives. So we are attached to Christ for a purpose, to be alive. But in that process also, I don't want us to miss the fact that we are also affirmed, not just by one another, but that we are affirmed by God himself. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, don't make the mistake of saying, oh, good, look, it says right there, name it, claim it. I, I get it. I want it. I just say, God, give it to me, and it's all mine, right? You know, the old Janis Joplin song. Some of you don't even know who Janis Joplin was, right? Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz, right? That's not what's going on here. Jesus says, if you're attached to me and you're alive in me, your priorities are going to radically shift. You're not going to even really pray for yourself very much. You're going to pray for others. You're going to pray for them to come to know me as Savior. You're going to pray for for your influence in your community to have the influence of the gospel, to have the aroma of Christ all over. You're going to pray for those who are oppressed. You're not going to sit idly by and be okay with students in our own community who can't get a good education simply because they come out of poverty. That's not going to be okay with you anymore. When you pray that way, I'm going to answer those prayers because now you're praying with the mind of Christ. That's how God affirms us in our faith. But he also affirms us not only by that partnership, but he also affirms us by his unconditional love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So just rest in my love, right? Don't try to work for your salvation. Don't don't look at it as a duty. It's an obligation. Understand what's going on here. We're in a love relationship with one another, and I'm loving you the way my Father loved me. So I want to take you back just for a minute to Luke chapter 3. And I want to talk for just a second about how the father demonstrated his love for the son, right? So Jesus, uh, people are being baptized. Jesus has been baptized. He's coming out of the river, right? The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, in this particular part of Jesus' life, how many miracles had he performed before God said these words to him? 
Anybody want to guess? I'm sorry? Well, you have a seminary education. You, that's, that's not fair, right? The answer, thank you. The answer is zero, none. Think about when you're affirmed. Think about when I'm affirmed. It's typically, I got good, great. Well, I can't say that for me, uh, but I've heard that some people get affirmed. when I challenged my daughter one time in like 10th grade, if you get straight A's, I'll get you a new laptop. And I promise you, I think one of her teachers, she should have had a B, but she gave her an A because she wanted to get her the laptop. But you're affirmed when you, when you score the winning touchdown. Or you're affirmed when you strike out the last batter. You're affirmed when you get that, that part in the play. You're affirmed when you do a great job and you, and you get a promotion. All of our affirmation in this life fundamentally comes from doing. And so I understand how hard it is to set doing aside, but you got to with Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't care about what you do as far as your salvation is concerned. Because he knows anything you do is going to fall short. And so he says, I'm just going to love you the way my father loved you. So before Jesus lifted a finger, before he turned water into wine, before he, he, he walked on water, before he healed the people, before he raised the dead, before he fed the 5,000, his father said to him, you're perfect just like you are right now. And if you're in Christ, that's what the father says to you this morning. So please quit trying to earn his love. You just can't do it. It's an, it's an exercise of futility. You're much better spending your time resting and abiding in the love that Jesus has already given you. That's what's going to transform your heart. That's what's going to transform my heart is focusing on that love and that grace. That's what's going to move us to do things in a way that, that change our immediate surroundings because the gospel is so powerfully at work in our lives that we want to share this love with others. And that's how Jesus wraps all this up. He wraps this up with a notion of joy, right? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I've talked to probably thousands of people in my life in ministry. I've never talked to one person who doesn't want to be filled with joy. I've talked to a lot of people that, that it's as elusive as, as trying to find, you know, Bigfoot. They, they can't get the notion of it even in their mind, but I've never met a person who doesn't long for joy to be in their lives. And Jesus says, in this journey, remember, Jesus is talking about joy and he's going to the cross in a few hours. He's talking about abiding in his father's love and he's going to suffer miserably and die for you and for me. And yet he talks about it in terms of joy. Why? Because joy isn't based on our circumstances. Joy is based on being attached and alive and affirmed. The gospel calls us to a joy that is more than anything this world could ever provide. And that's why I love our mission statement at Green Tree. We talk a lot about the last part of our, our, our mission statement. We talk about growing disciples and renewing communities and planting churches. But there's actually a preamble that's in our, that's in our, our mission statement that, that's been there from the very beginning, since back in, in 96 and 97, as, as prayers were being offered up and, and, and asking God, how do you want to do this little idea we have called Green Tree Community Church? And this is, is where we landed on the mission statement, right? To know Jesus Christ and to what? Serve him in joyful obedience, not out of duty, not an obligation, but because we get to, because he's loved us so deeply and with such a profound love that it's literally transforming our lives. And then what do we want to do? Therefore, we want to make him known. By what? By growing disciples, telling other people about Jesus and helping them have, have, have a growing experience in him as well, right? 
in planting churches and, and, and looking for communities that need the gospel of Jesus Christ and by renewing communities. And so when we talk about things like Affordable Christmas, we talk about things like, like Book and, and about Hope Unlimited and other things you're going to hear about in the weeks to come, we, we really want to center on, and I think in our immediate future, one of the things that we really want to take seriously is this notion of renewing communities because God has loved us so deeply, because we're alive, but also because there's still room to grow. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you would love sinners like us. We thank you that because we're in Christ by faith, you love us with the same love with which you have loved him. And he's demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. He died for us. And he calls us to a life of, of trusting in him, of being attached to him, of being affirmed in him in order that your kingdom would produce more fruit that other lost sinners would be drawn to Christ, that communities where people aren't respected and where people are oppressed would have a new and different experience that causes them to shake their head and give glory to God. Father, help us have room to grow. Create that in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.